Now, the reading will come through through our talk. Today, we're back into John's Gospel. We're coming face to face with Jesus. And today, we are, as you, you've heard in the kids' talk, we are going to hear him doing something that had never, ever been done before, opening the eyes of a man born blind. This miracle isn't recorded elsewhere before this in the Bible, not in the Old Testament, although 700 years beforehand, Isaiah the prophet had spoken about when it would be. He had prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would open the eyes of the blind. So when we read of Jesus bringing sight to the blind, it shines a big spotlight on who he is. And that ironically becomes the issue in the chapter. Who is Jesus really? I say ironically because it's the blind man who sees most clearly whilst those who can physically see are blind to who Jesus is. And so, in this story, we uncover different sorts of blindness. And you know that this is true. Uh, we had it illustrated. Um, you'll know the Facebook meme. Behind every angry man stands a man who has absolutely no idea what he did wrong. <laughs> the women are laughing, of course. The husbands are saying, yeah, that's other guys. Their poor wives, blind, <laughs> right? Um, I remember 30 years ago, Narelle and I were just married, and there's this classic f story of what happened in our family, which has become folk legend. But it was true. I, I, we were, I was making pumpkin soup. I boiled up the pumpkin. I'd filled the blender to the top. I was about to turn it on. Narelle comes in and says, look, you just might want to take some of that out of the blender and I look at her with disdain and say, don't you think I don't know how to use a blender? She goes, okay, and she backs out of the kitchen. I just turn it on full bore, bam, and the lid flies off, hits the roof, uh, the ceiling. The ceiling is now covered with pumpkin mush the cupboards up here are covered with pumpkin mush. It's all over my face. It's dripping down my glasses. Hot pumpkin slush. It is very clear to anyone who can see who had been right at that moment and who had been blind. There are different kinds of blindness, aren't there? Not just physical blindness. This story opens our eyes to the different sorts of blindnesses that all of us can have. Blindnesses we may have but not realise blindnesses we're actually blind to, right? Now, where the story gets to is the Jewish leader saying at the end, what, are we blind as well? And that's the question we have to ask of us, ourselves, as we go through. Are we blind to Jesus in some sense? So to begin opening our eyes to the types of blindness, we're going to go through the story bit by bit and through each group of people because there are different groups, and we're going to look at their own type of blindness. First up is the disciples, in your leaflet or on the screen. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming where no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so here's the first sort of blindness. The disciples and Jesus are walking along. They see a man who's been blind all his life, blind from birth. They add two, the disciples add two and two together and get, yeah. Okay, so they are blind to the causes of human suffering. They think that if someone is suffering, then that must be because they have sinned really badly. Or if not they themselves, then it, their parents who gave them the DNA which caused this. Now, we see this happening still all the time today. Uh, we see it when people talk of karma, okay? Something bad is happening to someone, so it must be their fault. Uh, this is karma, they're getting what they deserve, maybe from previous life. According to Jesus, he says, this is completely blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. No one's to blame for this. In other words, what Jesus says is there's no one-to-one, rigid, tight correlation between what a person may or may not suffer and their morality. In our world, sometimes people suffer, yes, for what they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people suffer for no good reason at all. We have to be very careful drawing rigid conclusions and morally judging someone who is suffering. But neither does that mean that these things happen outside of God's control. Jesus said, in this case, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus, how does he know this? He somehow knows. Now, we can't infer that it's true for every single person, but it was true for this case. And Jesus is confident about this because of who he says he is. Who does he say he is here? He is the light of the world. He comes to literally shine a light on the darkness in this man's life by opening his eyes. The miracle itself gets described very quickly in two verses. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, now note, Jesus could have healed him instantly like he did with blind Bartimaeus, okay, another blind man. Instead, he sends him to wash. Now, think about it. For the man to be healed, he has to take Jesus at his word and go and do what Jesus said. Now, that requires faith in Jesus, doesn't it? Believing Jesus' word, that if he went and washed because Jesus told him to, his eyes would be opened, which they were. And there we have this amazing miracle. Jesus had healed him, although also in the way it was done, we note that the man doesn't know what Jesus looked like because he actually hasn't, his sight wasn't restored till he was at the pool, right, where Jesus wasn't. The man hadn't seen Jesus, that's important for later on. But for now, his eyes are opened, but are everyone else's? Because a miracle has happened, but how will people react? Let's hear how the neighbors react. We'll pick it up at verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, 
isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Okay, so his neighbours can't make any sense of this. It's like trying to put together a very hard puzzle. Okay, this man before them can obviously see, but the man they knew, who looks like this man, couldn't. So the man in front of them must be different to the blind man that they know. Perhaps the man in front of them is someone who looks like the blind man, but when the man in front of them says, no, 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 it really is me, well, then the question is, well, how did you come to see? He says, it's Jesus who healed him, but of course they can't verify it. The guy doesn't know where Jesus is. So it's all very confusing. They are blind to the big picture, to how to make sense of it all. What's the big picture? How do the pieces fit together? They just don't know. Now, maybe you're here and you can relate to them. You've heard bits and pieces about Jesus. You're inclined to believe, but you find some things just a little confusing and hard to accept. What is the big picture? You don't know, because it's really hard for you to put all the pieces together. All right, now that's the neighbors. They are blind to how the pieces fit together, and because they can't understand it, what they do then is pass it up the chain to the religious experts because surely they'll know. So now we come to the next group, the Pharisees, who have their own sort of blindness. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Okay. The man who'd been healed is convinced because of what's happened that Jesus must be from God, a, a prophet. The Pharisees aren't so sure. They're divided. Some of them have already made up their minds. They are like this. He can't be from God because he doesn't keep the rules about the Sabbath. The day on which this happened was the Sabbath. Although, interesting, there are no rules in the Bible which prohibits healing on a Sabbath. The rules Jesus broke are not God's rules. They are the rules the Pharisees made up. They have got their heads in the sand. I wonder if you've met people like that. They think they know, because they know a little bit about the Bible or about Christianity, 
Because they know that little bit, they therefore are experts and that Christians who come to church and read their Bibles day after day and come to church week after week must be totally naive and wrong. And it often turns out that the bit that they think they know about the Bible or Jesus is in fact wrong. It's something that someone else made up. And we can hear it today. The real Jesus in history never did miracles. Uh, the real Jesus never spoke about hell. He was just love. Uh, hell was something his disciples made up to try and make people become Christians out of fear. The real Jesus never thought of himself as the Messiah. Now, it might surprise you, none of those points of view have actually any historical basis at all. Historians agree that the best historical records we have of Jesus are the Gospels themselves in the Bible, and they are readily accessible to anyone. And when we read the Gospels, we discover these views to be things that people made up much later without any basis in the Bible itself. But we ask the man at the center of this, the man whose eyes were opened, and he sees it clearly, right? He's the first, you know, he can give a personal testimony. Jesus is from God, <laughs> he's opened my eyes. Now that answer wasn't what the Pharisees wanted, so they call in the next group, the man's parents. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, in what you've just heard, if I asked you, how did the parents seem to you, you'd probably say, afraid. Verse 22 says it straight, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Because if they acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, what would happen? They'd be tossed out of the synagogue. I want to, you to contrast in your head how they present with how their son presents. He is not coming across as afraid. He's very open, isn't he? But the fear of what it would mean if his parents took Jesus seriously is blinding them. I want you to have a look at this. Okay, now I want you to focus on it. Let your eyes focus on the white shapes. Just stare at it. Focus on the white shapes. Look at them. Let them pop out at you. If you focus on the white shapes, what do you see? Not much, geographic blobs. Okay, that's when you've got black as the background. Now switch it, make white the background. Okay, now what pops out? Jesus, of course, okay. The man's parents had the darkness of their fear as their background. They couldn't see Jesus in front of them. If they hadn't been blinded by fear, of course, they'd have said to the Pharisees who were interrogating them, 
This is a great miracle. Our son has been blind all of his life, but miraculously now, somehow he can see God must have opened his eyes through Jesus. I mean, that is the obvious thing that you'd expect parents to say. But so often we can be blinded by fear, can't we? We could be afraid for what it might mean for ourselves within our family or within our circle of friends if we were to open ourselves to take Jesus seriously. Because, I mean, that's frightening, isn't it? That might mean I'd, I, well, I'd have to follow him and that would mean there'd be changes in my life. Um, my relationships would change. I don't know how that'd go down. There are some circles I might even get kicked out from. Fear can be a, a dreadful blinder, can't it? But when you think about it, this man's parents, they really are missing out. They have, they have now a chance to meet with Jesus, the man of God, if they sought him out um, to speak to him further, to say thank you about healing their son. And who knows what greater things he would have opened their eyes to when he did so. But they didn't, they're too afraid. Fear has blinded them. Now we go back to the Pharisees. We now have a second round with the Pharisees, and I'm glad for this because it shows how one type of blindness leads to another. We've already seen them with their heads in the sand, thinking they know everything already. What we see in the next round is a new type of blindness that their first blindness leads them to. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I love that exchange. Uh, in one way, it's funny. And you laugh at the guy. He could have been Australian, couldn't he, the way he was talking. <laughs> but it's tragic also because to see religious leaders treat one of their most vulnerable members of their flock like that, that is so tragic. And we as a nation who only a few years ago had a royal commission into abuse within religious institutions, we know the damage done by leaders who have blinded themselves to their pastoral, the pastoral needs of the, the people that they've been entrusted to care for. Um, 
it's horrendous. I mean, lives destroyed. We know Jesus' name has been dragged through the mud. It's a shame. It's a scourge on our nation. It's, it's a national shame. In John's gospel, this, is, this episode is the first time we see Israel's leaders pastorally interact with one of their flock. And it shines a spotlight on them, doesn't it? They should have shown him care. But instead of welcoming him, instead of praising God at what had happened, instead of rejoicing with him, instead of sending him to a priest to get the all clear now, that now he could now go up to the temple and worship because up until now he's been excluded, instead of doing what would be pastorally responsible for any religious leader to have done, what do they do? They interrogate him, disbelieve him, yell at him and kick him out. And the sad thing about this is that yes, we can see it in our day, but it had at that time been happening for hundreds of years. Centuries before God spoke about this through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. You have not searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Now, in Ezekiel, God goes on to promise that as a result, he himself will come one day and will shepherd his people He will search for the strays and he will bring them back. And no surprise that in the very next chapter of John's gospel, we hear Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. That's next week. Because that's who he is. Because now I want you to listen to what Jesus does. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, we'll get to the worship, but can you see, first of all, that Jesus is a shepherd who cares. So he doesn't just accidentally bump into this guy. When the Pharisees kick him out and Jesus hears what happens, he goes and he searches for the man until he finds him. Just like God said that he would do in the prophet Ezekiel when he would turn up. He would search after the strays and he would find them. Well, Jesus finds this man. And remember, the man who'd been healed, he hasn't actually seen Jesus yet. So he's having this conversation with Jesus, not knowing that the man who's talking to him is Jesus. So he doesn't know this straight away. He needs it to be revealed. He needs his eyes to be opened again. He's looking at Jesus in front of him, but he doesn't know who he is, not yet. It's like he can see, but he can't see, like in these pictures right? 
Now, you might look at those and see very pretty flowers on the left or a tree and some birds in flight on the right. This man can see Jesus in front of him and maybe through his voice, the sound of his voice, he's now recognizing him as the one who healed him. But who is he? Who is Jesus? He knows he's obviously from God. He's already said Jesus is a prophet, but is he more than that? Is he more than that? Um, his eyes are physically open to see, but he needs to see more. Now, I take it that everyone who's looking at those pictures can see the faces of two women there. Okay, lips at the bottom, the underside of their noses, an eye, an eyebrow, the outline of their cheek. It's possible to see, but not see, to have to have our eyes open but not have them open. You need your eyes truly open, don't you? We can read this story, but the question is, are our eyes open to Jesus as he really is? So Jesus opens this man's eyes a second time. He opens the man's eyes to his identity. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now that doesn't mean much to us in the Bible, but in the, to us, but in the Bible it refers to from Daniel chapter seven, a divine and human figure who would come at the end of time, a son of man who would rule over an eternal kingdom and be worshiped by the nations. Jesus asks this question, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? We think, yes, he believes the scriptures. Tell me so that I may believe in him. You've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Those words open the man's eyes. Now, think for a moment, if Jesus were from God, but just a man, if he was a prophet, um, a sort of spokesman from God, the ma- and that's what the man believed, the man wouldn't have worshipped a prophet. He would have listened to him, yeah, because prophets carry God's words, but they're only human messengers. If Jesus was a prophet, also when he was worshipped, he would have put out his hand to dissuade the man, like the angel did of John in Revelation 19. At this I fell to his feet, says John, to worship the angel, but he said to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay, don't worship me. In the Bible, only God is to be worshiped. This man worships Jesus and Jesus lets it happen. It's another indication that who Jesus says he is, who he is by his own self-understanding, is God in the flesh. Jesus has opened this man's eyes twice. He's now worshiping Jesus as God. And the second opening was even more significant than the first because, we'll see, just we're almost at the end. In the last verses of the chapter, Jesus says this. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Okay, now we we sense that this is profound and deep, but we have to think about it, right? (laughs) He's just raised the stakes. 
It's bad enough that we can think that we can see who Jesus is, but in reality be blind to him. But now Jesus is saying, you can be guilty for that blindness. In other words, your spiritual blindness can be moral. Now, he's not talking about when we don't know about Jesus because we can't, because there's a lack of opportunity. Okay, but we, when we can know, and when we should know, and when we don't know, then this becomes a moral issue. How so? Because there's a reason why we don't know. We don't know because we won't know. <laughs> we decide that we won't know. We don't want to. Here's how it works. You make a decision to sin. It's fun. You're doing something you shouldn't, but you want to run down that path. You want it to keep going. You don't want it to be brought out in the light. You try and hide it. So you stay in the shadows. And then we read that God gives us over to what we want. This is his partial judgment on us now, Romans chapter one. He leaves us in the darkness. It's fair, he's, we're getting what we've asked for. But what that means is that when we have a chance to see Jesus, we don't. And neither do we want to if we're pressed. And that means we're blind and we won't accept him. Well, we don't accept him because we won't. Can you see that our moral blindness creates a spiritual blindness towards Jesus that we ourselves are guilty of? Now that leads us with the question the Pharisees asked, what are we blind to? And that's the question. Are we? Am I? Are you? Do you know, I think we're all blind to Jesus in some degree. If you're thinking, no, not me, just think again. Because the trick with not seeing when we think we can see is that we might not see that we're blind, right? If you think you can see but you're blind to what you can't see, then you actually are blind. But you don't realise it. The Pharisees were like this, weren't they? How dare you lecture us, they say. I wonder if you've said that. Have you thought it? When someone's tried to share Christ with you, share a bit more than you understand, how dare you lecture me? How dare you presume to know more than me? Okay, now we've got to open our eyes, don't we? Maybe you know people like that. It breaks your heart. They won't open themselves to who Jesus is. It's a spiritual problem. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They cannot see. And the only hope that we have is God because just as he said, let there be light and there was, God is able through the preaching of the gospel to exert that same power to shine a light into the darkness of our hearts and give us the knowledge of him in Jesus. He's able to open our eyes make light in dark places. If you know someone in darkness, therefore, darkened in their understanding with regards to Jesus, what we must do is pray for them. Pray that God would shine his light on them so that they would see. The spirit would open them up. Okay. And maybe you're that person here. I want you to say, if you are, open your eyes. Open your eyes. 
Now, maybe you're someone who thinks your eyes are open to Jesus. He's obviously from God, and yes, you believe in him, but you're not willing really to go to the next step to worship him. You're hesitant. Maybe you think, look, I'm fine worshiping God because he's God, but honestly, you feel uncomfortable worshiping Jesus because, after all, he's a man. I mean, he's a good man, isn't he? He's a man from God, like a prophet, but he's a man all the same. Is that you? You comfortable worshiping him? Well, I want you to see that you're being blind, if that's you, to what the prophets themselves foretold. I've already mentioned Daniel, that Old Testament prophet. So in chapter seven, he sees a vision of one like a son of man, a human figure who will one day be worshiped by the nations because he would also be divine. So the prophets themselves spoke of a time when a divine human figure would come who would be worshiped. If you think Jesus is a prophet, but you're not gonna worship him, that means you, you regard the prophet's word as important. The prophets themselves said there was gonna come one who you could worship. And that's how Jesus introduces himself to the man whose eyes he opened. You've seen him now. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And then when the man saw this, he had no issue worshiping Jesus, and neither did Jesus have an issue with him worshiping him. If we aren't worshiping Jesus, we're blind to who he really is. Open your eyes. Or maybe you've got that other sort of blindness Christians have, the sort of blindness which says, I oh, know I do worship Jesus sometimes. Isn't that everyone? Don't we all have this? We've heard of Jesus in the good news, but we haven't seen Jesus in his heavenly glory. We haven't seen him like Peter, James, and John saw him on the mountain where Jesus was transfigured and his face became like lightning and brighter than the sun. And we haven't seen that. We haven't been like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus who saw a heavenly vision of the glorified you know, Jesus as he is at the moment. That was the last thing he saw for three days when he was blind. He was, that image seared on the back of his retina, changed his whole life. Well, you and I haven't had that experience. Okay, so because we see Jesus dimly, our worship, our lives, they are inconsistent. And that's why Paul says, and he, he prays in Ephesians 1, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You already know him. But so that you will know him better, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You see the language? Now, this is a good prayer to pray. I pray this for myself. It's good to pray because we can accept him, but we can't see him fully, not yet. So Paul prays, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. I wanna know Jesus better. I'm convinced that if I saw more of Jesus' glory, then I would be worshiping him a whole lot more in my life and I would be thinking about sin a whole lot less. There are different sorts of blindnesses we can all have to Jesus. There's a spiritual blindness which rejects him completely. There's a moral blindness which makes us guilty. And if you have that, what I'm saying is come into the light because the beautiful thing about Christ is that yes, while his light does shine a light on our sin, here's the beautiful thing about it. He doesn't just leave you exposed he actually goes to a very dark place so that you're not exposed. He covers you with his righteousness. Do you see? So you can step out into the light 
and be safe. Maybe it's the blindness which says we won't worship him or I'll only partially worship him. Look, if that's you, ask him to open your eyes. He can do it. And we need him to do it for us. And he will because he did it for this man and he's going to do it for us as well. It's what he wants. He came as the light of the world so that we would see. Loving Father, for whatever condition of blindness we have, personally, shine your light on us that we would see Christ more clearly in his glory and we would accept him as the Son of Man, the divine one to be worshipped and we would worship him more consistently in our lives than we do now. Open the eyes of our heart by your spirit. Grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. We long for this. We long for this. Shine your light on us in Jesus' name. Amen.